Good morning gamers, and welcome to the Polygonal Sunrise, your weekly video game news briefing every Monday morning. Today is Monday, February 4th, 2019. I'm your host, Jack Martin. Let's see what happened last week. A free-to-play Titanfall Battle Royale game will be out soon. This article comes from Jason Trier of Kotaku.com. A new Titanfall spin-off is in the works, and it'll be out sooner than anyone could possibly guess. In fact, internet rumors, and word from our own sources, suggest that it'll be out this Monday. The game isn't officially announced just yet, but word leaked out this morning thanks to esports journalist Rob Breslau. As Breslau reported today, it's called Apex Legends and will be out on Monday for PC, Xbox, and PS4. It's a free-to-play battle royale that, interestingly, won't let you use the Titan mech suits that make Titanfall so iconic. You'll have supernatural mobile-like hero abilities and play either solo or in a team of three as you battle other players for delicious chicken dinners. We've heard all of those same details. A tipster sent me some info about Apex Legends early last month. Quote, it plays like Titanfall mixed with Overwatch and Blackout from Call of Duty Black Ops 4, end quote, they told me at the time. And from what we've heard, publisher EA held an event for streamers and YouTubers this week to show off the game, which is likely how the news leaked. Here's another interesting tidbit. As I was reporting on EA's purchase of Titanfall developer Respawn in the fall of 2017, a move that was forced by a Nexon bid for the studio and may have been directly connected to the closure of Visceral, I heard from a Respawn source that Titanfall 3 was well into development, and that the studio had been looking to release it by the end of 2018. The rationale, that source said, was that the game's underlying technology was starting to feel dated, and that Titanfall 3 might not feel or look as good if it came out too much later. Like the previous two Titanfall games, Titanfall 3 used a modified version of Valve's Source Engine. Perhaps the studio decided to switch engines for Titanfall 3, releasing Apex Legends, which is also reportedly on Source, as a stopgap as it pushed back the release of a proper third Titanfall game. Or perhaps the work Respawn had done for Titanfall 3 wound up evolving into this spin-off game. No matter what, the third Titanfall appears to be way down the road. Expect Apex Legends to be announced very soon, perhaps tomorrow at the Super Bowl, or on Monday as a not-so-much-of-a-surprise reveal. This will be the first of two games Respawn has planned for this year, in addition to Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which is slated to come out in the fall. Okay, here's my take on the Titanfall Apex Legends business. I think this is probably a good move for the Titanfall brand. The series has two well-received games, but Titanfall 2 unfortunately didn't meet EA's sales expectations, probably because it came out a week after Battlefield 1, which is probably one of the worst release schedules I can think of for a publisher. Releasing a likely smaller version of a Titanfall game will keep the series in fans' minds while they wait for the next mainline game. Also, Respawn is in deep with Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, so it makes sense that Titanfall got put on the back burner. I'm really interested to see this game in action, especially since it's a surprise release from such an established IP. Okay, on to the next story. Sony shifting first-party development focus to PS5. This is by Sharif Syed of VG247. As the beginning of the next generation of consoles slowly approaches, Sony's been working behind the scenes to kick it off with a bang. It's no secret that PlayStation 5, or whatever Sony ends up officially calling its next-gen console, is currently in the works. CEO Kenichiro Yoshida confirmed as much last year, calling next-gen hardware necessary. There's no shortage of rumors about development teams across the industry getting briefed on preliminary specs, not to mention teams already having access to early dev kits. According to Daniel Ahmad, Nico Partners analyst who generally has solid insider information, Sony's internal first-party studio are already working on games for PS5. Quote, In general, most of the focus for Sony first party is on PS5 right now. It is still early to talk about next gen, but I imagine we'll hear some whispers come out of GDC, end quote, he wrote on Reset Era. 
Interestingly, Ahmad also revealed that Sony has unannounced games in the works based on existing IPs. Though they may have initially been intended for PS4, Ahmad notes that there's a desire to make them cross-gen, or fully next-gen. He didn't give any hints as to what these may be, however. Considering Sony will miss E3 this year for the first time, we're probably not going to get any major announcements in 2019. If reports are accurate and PS5 is indeed planned for a late 2020 release, it'll make more sense to talk about what's next early next year, and that will likely include a batch of first-party game announcements. But that also leaves us with more questions about the fate of deep-in-development titles like Ghost of Tsushima, Kojima's Death Stranding, and The Last of Us Part Two to a lesser extent. Okay, here's my take on the PS5 development. I've thought for a while that PS5 will be a 2020 release, and it's looking more and more likely as we approach the year. Syed brings up an interesting point about games like The Last of Us 2, or Ghost of Tsushima, that are in development for the PS4. These games still don't have release dates, so either they come out this year or in 2020, which might be a little strange releasing such high-quality first-party games the same year as a new console, though The Last of Us did release on PS3 the same year PS4 came out. What I'm saying is that I wouldn't be surprised to see these games have a release on both the PS4 and the PS5. Like Saeed mentioned, it's likely that these games will be either cross-gen or fully next-gen, and I'm likely expecting that come 2020. Okay, here's the next article. Opt-in review system in the works for Epic Games Store. This comes from James Batchelder of GamesIndustry.biz. Epic Games is working on an optional review system for its new PC game store. The revelation came via founder Tim Sweeney on Twitter, responding to complaints that the Epic Games Store is trying to, quote, silence consumers, end quote, by not allowing them to offer any feedback on the marketplace or the games it sells. When the Epic Games Store launched at the tail end of 2018, there was no way for users to interact with it beyond buying games. There is no system for reviews or ratings and no forums. This was a conscious choice to avoid the toxicity that has developed over the years on Steam, but it has still frustrated some of the store's customers. Quote, we're working on a review system for the Epic Games Store based on the existing one in the Unreal Engine marketplace, end quote. Sweeney tweeted, quote, it will be opt-in by developers. We think this is best because review bombing and other gaming the system is a real problem, end quote. Review bombing certainly seems to be the go-to tactic to express frustration on Steam. Just this week, 4A Games' Metro titles have received a wave of negative reviews off the back of the announcement that Exodus will be temporarily exclusive to the Epic Games Store. In other discussions on Twitter, Sweeney assured that Epic is working to make the store operate offline and continue to defend the ethos behind the Epic Games Store from its critics. I'm not much of a PC gamer, so I think it'd be kind of unfair of me to give my opinion, so let's just get on to the next story. Another rumor suggests a smaller, portable-focused Nintendo Switch coming in 2019. This comes from Colin Stevens at IGN.com. A new report suggests that a smaller version of Nintendo Switch will be released in 2019, which will cost less but remove features to focus on portability as a result. The report comes from Nikkei via Gamatsu, and says this move comes after Nintendo lowered its sales targets for the year from 20 million Switch units to 17 million, and is looking to launch this portable version early in order to expand its user base. Nikkei claims that Nintendo has told multiple suppliers and developers about the plans to release the smaller Switch. The rumor states this version of Switch will be made with playing outdoors in mind. Nikkei also notes that Nintendo plans to launch a more expensive online service in 2019. Nintendo Everything reports this will be aimed at game enthusiasts that are willing to pay more for a higher tier service. If this is the case, the current Nintendo Switch online service will likely remain in place alongside it. All of this information is heavily rumored and should be taken with a grain of salt. Inverse to this recent rumor, Wall Street Journal Japan reported last year that Nintendo was discussing a new version of Switch that would upgrade the system's low-end LCD display and could arrive in the second half of 2019. 
However, just last week, Nintendo's president Shuntaro Furukawa went on record saying that a price cut and successor to Switch are currently not being considered. If there is a smaller, more portable Switch in development, it's unknown exactly what that will look like. It's possible such a system would forego detachable Joy-Con in favor of a singular device, one that would potentially not come with a dock or perhaps even the ability to be played on a television. These changes, among other possible adjustments, could feasibly allow Nintendo to sell a different version of Switch for far less than the current US dollars price tag. While that would go against the design philosophy of Switch, Nintendo made a similar move when it released the 2DS, a 3D-less 3DS that was a solid slate that sold for less. Despite Nintendo adjusting sales projections, Switch has been selling very well, just recently passing 32 million units in total. Software sales for the console have surpassed 163 million units as well, and Nintendo has released sales figures for many of its best-selling games. Okay, here's my take on the more portable Nintendo Switch. I think this would be a great move for Nintendo. So much so that I'm surprised it already hasn't happened. With an amazing first-party catalog already built in a few short years, the Switch is an incredible console. If Nintendo could drop the price under $300, it would be an easy grab for Xbox or PlayStation players to pick up just for the first-party lineup itself. As crazy as it sounds, the Switch is my first Nintendo console. I grew up with PlayStation and Xbox, but the games for the Switch seem too good to pass up. I imagine a lot of other people are like me and never played a Nintendo console. I think releasing a cheaper, more portable Switch would get these people to finally commit on buying the console. Okay, that's it for news. Now let's take a look at the recently announced free games on Xbox and PlayStation. Both Xbox's Games with Gold and PlayStation Plus's free games for February were recently announced. On the Xbox side, you'll be able to download four games at various points in the month. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon is available from February 1st to the 28th on Xbox One. Super Bomberman R is available from February 16th to March 15th on the Xbox One. Assassin's Creed Rogue is available from February 1st to the 15th on the Xbox 360 in the Xbox One. And lastly, Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Academy. It's available February 16th to the 28th on the 360 in the Xbox One. For PlayStation users, six games will be available to download across PS4, Vita, and PS3 starting February 5th. For Honor is on the PS4. Hitman The Complete First Season is on PS4. Metal Gear Solid 4 Guns of the Patriots is on the PS3. Dive Kick is on the PS3 in the PS Vita. Gunhouse is on the PS4 in the PS Vita. And finally, Rogue Aces is on the PS4 in the PS Vita. And remember, this is the last month that PS Plus will offer free games for the PS3 and Vita. PlayStation is also giving a hefty boost in cloud storage for PS Plus subscribers. Players will now have access to 100 gigabytes of storage. That's 90 gigabytes more than was previously offered. Okay, before the end of the show, let's take a trip back in time and see what happened this week in gaming history. This is for the week of February 4th to February 10th. On February 4th, on February 4th in 2001, Nintendo releases the Paper Mario video game for the Nintendo 64 in the US. On February 4th, 2002, Sega releases the Sonic Advance video game for the Game Boy Advance in the US. And on February 5th, on February 5th in 1978, in Japan, Toshihiro Nishikado completes the Space Invaders video game. On February 5th, 2003, Nokia unveils the N-Gage handheld gaming device in London, England and Sydney, Australia. It features a game console with games on multimedia cards, cell phone, wireless connectivity, web browser, audio player, email support, and stereo, FM, radio. The unit is to be on sale by the end of the year. On February 5th, 2008, Capcom releases the Devil May Cry 4 video game for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in the USA. February 6th. On February 6th, 1982, the Ormond Beach Commission in Florida approves an ordinance prohibiting electronic games from being placed within 1,000 feet of a school, church, or youth activity center in Ormond Beach. On February 6th, 1991, Nintendo and Sony announced cooperation to develop a compact disc player 
the Super Famicom in Japan. February 7th. On February 7th, 1983, Atari seeks a legal injunction against Coleco Industries to stop it from selling its ColecoVision adapter to play Atari cartridges. On February 7th, 2012, Capcom releases the Resident Evil Revelations video game for the Nintendo 3DS in the US. And again on February 7th, 2012, EA releases the Kingdoms of Amelie Reckoning for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in the US. February 8th. On February 8, 1982, Walter Day releases the first Twin Galaxies national scoreboard to the public, recording video game high scores. Again on February 8, 1982, Council of Bradley, Illinois, bars children under 16 from playing video arcade games. On February 8, 1998, the official video game in Pinball Book of World Records is published, 984 pages, including records since 1981. On February 8, 1999, Nintendo releases the Mario Party video game for the Nintendo 64 in the US. February 9th. On February 9, 1982, the Boston suburb of Marlboro, Massachusetts passes an ordinance barring the use of video games by anyone under the age of 18 during school class hours or late at night, and bans placement of the games within 1,500 feet of public schools. On February 9, 2010, EA releases the Dante's Inferno video game for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in the US. And again on February 9, 2010, 2K Games releases the Bioshock 2 video game for the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360 in the US. And finally, February 10th. On February 10th, 1994, Nintendo announces it will not release a CD-based video game system, but will continue to use cartridges for its next-generation system. And on February 10th, 1997, Nintendo releases the Mario Kart 64 video game for the Nintendo 64 in the US. That info comes from a really cool site called thisdayinhistoryinfo.info/compvid. There, you can find all sorts of cool information about what happened each day in gaming history. And that's it for the Polygonal Sunrise. You can join us every Monday morning for your weekly gaming news briefing. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at FascinatedJack. And you can follow the show on Twitter at PolygonalPod. As of this recording, you could subscribe to the show on Podbean or Spotify, with other podcast services hopefully being added down the line. See you all next week. The Polygonal Sunrise is a production of the Amherst Wire. Visit AmherstWire.com or find them on social media at Amherst Wire. This episode was recorded, edited, and produced by me. The entertainment slash podcast editor for the Amherst Wire is Jonathan Kerma. You can follow him on Twitter at jkerma98. My supervisor for the show is BJ Roach. You can follow her on Twitter at bj underscore roach. And finally, the music for today's episode is provided by Damon Hatfield. You can support him at damonhatfield.bandcamp.com or find him on iTunes and Spotify.